Today I'm beginning a brand new series that I've entitled Lessons from David or How to Be a Giant Killer. And I tell you, I have really, really benefited from studying the life of David. And uh, I think that this is going to make a big impact on you if you'll receive it. Let me start with some scriptures here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 6 it says, Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all of these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And if you were to take this and study it in its context, it's talking about the children of Israel that came out of the land of Egypt, and all of the things that happened to them. It says both in verse 6 and also in verse 11, that these things were our examples so that we could learn by them and not murmur and not commit adultery and not do all of the things that they did. So the Lord recorded things in the Old Testament for our learning so that we could, be bene- so that we could benefit from them, from their mistakes. And I tell you, my testimony, if you haven't heard it, I won't go through the whole thing, but I was raised in a Christian home. I was born again when I was eight And I had a miraculous encounter with the Lord when I was 18. But my whole life, I've never gone out and done drugs. I've I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never used a word of profanity. I have been seeking God and living for God. And I just haven't gone out there and experienced a lot of the stuff that other people have experienced. And some people would think, well, then you can't know what it's like. Yeah, I can through the Word of God. The Word of God, I mean, it doesn't just present these characters in the Bible and just present them in a, you know, an airbrushed type of way where all of the flaws are covered over. I mean, it is brutally honest. And these things are done according to these scriptures so that we can learn through them not to do things. You know, David experienced adultery and then actually murdered to cover up his adultery. And I have read those things in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And I have, I've seen the hurt and the pain that came into David's life, how that the child that was born to him in Bathsheba died, how that his own children rebelled and fought against him and on and on. And I have lived vicariously through David and have learned that adultery is not the way to go. Now, I'm not saying these things to criticize anybody who's had, you know, these things in their past. Praise God, it's past and you're redeemed. But I'm saying that there are some of you that if you would have studied the Scriptures and if you would have let God speak to you through that, you could have learned the damage of adultery. You could have learned the damage of lust and all of the things that it does and all of the consequences that it sets in motion. And you could have learned that at David's expense. It was written so that we could learn through him. David not only had these negative experiences, but David also had some of the greatest experiences recorded in Scripture from God. And you can learn through the things that he did. We can see the way that he did not avenge himself. He didn't 
kill his enemy. He let God be the one that promoted him. And because of that, David reaped what he sowed. And in his old age, even when he had done things wrong and his own children turned against him, God preserved his life and kept him. And he died of old age. He didn't die somebody killing him because that's what he had sown. And there are just so many lessons to learn from David. This has been an important, important thing in my life. And I'm offering this to you, whether you're young or old. If you haven't been through some of these things, you can learn by other people's experience. You know, in our Bible college, one of the promotionals uh, for our Bible college, I talk about that some people think that the only way you can learn is through hard knocks. And I say, I certainly have. But there's a better way, and that is Karis Bible College. In other words, you can learn through the things that we've learned and take our experiences, and you don't have to go and make all of the mistakes that we've made. And I really believe that this is one of the reasons that so many people, it just seems like that they are making the same mistakes that have been made for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's because they don't let history teach them anything, especially biblical history. So I say all of these things just as an introduction to this new teaching that I'm starting today, talking about lessons from David, that this is important. This isn't just talking about somebody who lived 4,000 years ago and has no relevance to us. The scripture says that there's nothing new under the sun. What's happened to one person is the same thing that's happening to us today. Satan doesn't have any new tricks. He hasn't come up with any new ideas. All he does is repackage the old stuff, put it in a different wrapper, different bow on it. But it's still the same things. And we can learn through the life of David some tremendous, tremendous lessons that I tell you could make a huge difference in your life. So we're going to start studying the life of David. And before we actually get to David, let me go back to David's predecessor, King Saul. He was the very first king of the nation of Israel. He was chosen by God. And I'm not going to teach on Saul. It's hard to keep from doing this because the life of Saul and David are intertwined. But David is actually the results of Saul's rejection of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, we find an instance where God told uh, Samuel to go fight against some people, but Samuel, or excuse me, God told Saul, the king, to go fight against this nation, but Samuel, the prophet, had told Saul not to engage in battle until he came to offer a sacrifice and made a petition to God for success. And Samuel was late in getting there. And so Saul waited the appointed days. There were seven days, but Samuel hadn't shown up. And so Saul decided that he would go ahead and step into the office of a priest and he would offer a sacrifice and he would implore God. Now, I hadn't got time to teach on all of this, but if you were to study scripture, you'll find out that there was a clear distinction between the ministry of a king and the ministry of a priest. It's like in our nation, the United States, there is a separation of power between the executive and the judicial and stuff, and you cannot overstep those bounds. They were separated so that you would not have just a total dictatorship and all these kind of things. Well, in the Old Covenant, there was a separation between that of the king of the nation and the priest, and it was enforced. Later on, you find Uzziah, one of the kings, who went in to offer a sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, and God struck him with leprosy. 
And so this was something that you just could not do this, but Saul went ahead and did it. He stepped out of the office of the king and into the office of a priest. He offered this sacrifice, and as soon as he got through offering the sacrifice, Samuel showed up. If he had waited another 20 or 30 minutes, this wouldn't have happened. But Samuel showed up. This is in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 13 and in verse 10. And it says, And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, Therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. The very phrase that he used right here when he says, I forced myself, this shows that he knew he wasn't anointed to do this and that this was outside of the norm. But see, he let circumstances dictate to him. Boy, there's a lesson to learn right here. Even before we get to talking about David, you can learn a lesson right here that this man did something that he knew was wrong, but he felt like the crisis situation demanded that he go outside of God's clear instructions and do something to handle the situation. I tell you, any time you compromise God's instructions, I don't care what your motivation for doing it is, you are doing the wrong thing. Anything you compromise to get or to keep, you're going to lose. This is just so simple. You know, it makes, it makes life so easy. Most people don't have definite values, absolutes in their life. Everything is relative. It's all conditional. And so they try and maintain integrity. They won't lie if it's convenient not to lie. But if it becomes inconvenient, if it looks like the truth is going to cost them something, the average person, even the average Christian will lie. Or... Sometimes we don't call it lying, we just exaggerate or we present only a partial truth. I tell you, this is done in our nation so much that people misuse uh, statistics and they will show you only one side of something and they leave you with an impression that is a misrepresentation. You know, the command in Exodus chapter 20 was, Thou shalt not bear false witness. It didn't say you shall not lie. It includes lying, but you shall not bear false witness. You could say something that was absolutely true and yet leave a false witness, a false impression with somebody because you didn't present the whole truth. You only presented a portion of it. And see, there's people that all of the time, they don't have these absolutes and so they just will lie, they will do whatever. But you need to get to a place that you just say, this is absolutely right, this is absolutely wrong, I will not cross this line, and it doesn't matter. It, if it's going to cost me my job, if it's going to cost me the acceptance of somebody, I just don't care. I'm going to do what's right. If you live that way, it makes life so easy. You just have these set boundaries, and you will not get outside of them, and nobody can make you do it, and it takes away so much problems. You don't have to worry about how you exaggerated, how you misrepresented this, how you lied in this situation. You just always tell the truth and don't ever worry about it. But see, Saul was one of these guys. He knew he was wrong. He forced himself, but he let circumstances force him to do something that he knew God didn't want him to do. I'm speaking to some people right now that you're in a situation where you're compromising, you're doing something on, at work, in your marriage, 
in relationships with somebody else, whatever it is. You know it's wrong, but you've, you just feel like you've got no choice. You've always got a choice. Just do what's right. You know, I watch these movies sometimes, and they always want to put this conflict in there. They want to put some trauma or something in there so that when you overcome it, you know, it's got this positive end. But many times they create problems because people just didn't do what was right. And I sit there and think, if you would have just done what's right, who cares what the fallout of it is? You wouldn't have ever had this problem. And it's hard for me to watch stuff like that because I just, to the best of my ability, to the full extent of my understanding, I do not violate what God tells me to do. It's real simple. And it just is a simple way to live. But Saul went ahead and offered this offering and in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13, it says, And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. I tell you, any time you violate what you know is right in your heart, you have done foolishly. Praise God for grace. Praise God for Jesus and for mercy and forgiveness. But it is foolish to do things contrary to God's instructions. God didn't give us instructions to hinder us, to hurt us. He did it to help us. And it's just foolish. But God loves us even when we're foolish. I'm not trying to condemn anybody, but I am trying to say that you ought to just absolutely do what's right and not deviate from it. So Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And of course, we now know, as we continue to study through these scriptures, that this 14th verse is talking about David. He says he had sought out a man after his own heart. And David was called a man after God's own heart. But I wanted to point out here in verse 13 that Samuel said to Saul, that if you had obeyed God, the Lord would have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Now this is huge because what this means is that David would have never been king. David wasn't God's first choice. Saul was God's first choice. Saul chose Saul was chosen by God in 1 Samuel chapter 10. You can read all about it. And I mean, it was miraculous the way that God separated him and the anointing of God came upon him. And if he would have obeyed God in this instance, there never would have been a David. Saul would have been the one. And we would be singing about the sure mercies of Saul. We would be talking about, Dave, uh, about Jesus being the son of Saul instead of the son of David. Now this is important because most people see that like Saul was maybe just a fill-in or a placeholder until David came along. But this verse reveals that Saul was actually God's first choice. And David, therefore, was his second choice. And so as we start talking about David, here's one of the lessons that I learned from David, that you know what? David wasn't God's first choice for being king over Israel. Saul was. Saul was chosen by God. David was his second choice. And yet, look how awesome David was. As we continue to go through this and talk about how he killed Goliath and how he did all of these things, man, the Bible 
nearly all of First and Second uh, Samuel is written about David. Even parts of First Kings, First Chronicles, all of that is written about David. Of course, most of the Psalms were written by David. David is quoted and referred to so many times in the New Testament. He is one of the prominent figures in the Bible, and yet he wasn't even God's first choice. Now, what this says to me is that, you know, when it comes to me relating to God, I may not be God's first choice. You know, I don't know for sure. I've never had the Lord speak to me anything about whether, you know, I'm a second choice or a fill-in for somebody else. But I remember um, Catherine Kuhlman. She used to stand, and you know, this was back in the 50s and 60s when there was a lot more criticism uh, against women preachers than there is today. And she constantly was being criticized, not only because she was a woman, but because of her type of ministry and stuff. And... Uh, and she asked the Lord about, you know, why all of this happened and, and stuff. And the Lord told her, he says, Catherine, I, you aren't the first person that I chose for this. He actually told her that she was the sixth person that God had spoken to and asked to have that type of a ministry where these miracles just happened, where she had the gift of miracles and the gifts of healings. But he says, I spoke to five men before you and they would not accept it. You're my sixth choice. And yet, look what God did with Catherine Kuhlman. Some of you may not know who she is, but I tell you, I've been to her meetings. I've ushered in them. I saw, I saw some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen in my life happen in her meetings. And she wasn't God's first choice. But look what God did with her. David wasn't God's first choice. And yet, look how wonderful it is. And so the reason I say this is because some of you may not feel like you're the sharpest knife in the drawer you may not feel like you are a silver vessel, but if you're a surrendered vessel, it says in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to so show Himself strong in behalf of those who are perfect in His sight. God is looking. And wherever you are today, God is taking these words that I'm speaking, and He's looking. Are you willing to let God use you? Are you willing to make yourself available? You don't have to be the silver vessel. You have to be the surrendered vessel. And if you'll do that, you may not be God's first choice. Maybe there was somebody else who was more talented or whatever that God tried to use, but they wouldn't accept it. But you could fill in. You could respond to God right now, and God could make His plan B so glorious that you wonder how in the world plan A could ever have been as good. And you know, there's many applications to this. There's some of you that before you knew the Lord, before you were really committed to the Lord, you might have gotten a divorce and you may have messed up your life and the life of the other person. You may have uh, done something that, you know, caused your children uh, to go astray and there could, have, there could just be all kinds of hurts and pains. You may have done things with drugs and alcohol to damage your body and you know that your life hasn't gone the direction that God wanted it to go. But if you will surrender to God and yield, God could take you where you are and make His plan B for your life be so glorious that you would wonder how it could have ever been any better. I often liken this to like one of our GPS devices that we have. You know how if you make a wrong turn, the thing will say recalculating. And I don't care where you go, there is always a way to recalculate and put you back on track and get you to where you're going. 
you may have taken some wrong turns in your life and your life may be really messed up from what you know God intended it to be. But God can recalculate. God can get you back on track. His plan B for your life can become awesome. With some of you, it may be plan T or Z. Amen. Maybe you've made bunches of wrong turns. But I tell you, this is one of the things about David that encourages me. He wasn't necessarily God's first choice. And you know, in this verse right here, in verse 14, he says, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. Did you know that's implied, people look at this, that God just went and found David right away. If you actually add up all of these ages, this was in the second year of Saul's reign. Saul reigned for 40 years, so there was 38 more years. And when David took over the kingdom, when Saul died, he was 30 years old. So if you subtract David's age when Saul died, 30 from the 38 more years that Saul had to reign, you find out that when the Lord said He has sought him a man after his own heart and anointed him to be king in your stead, this was eight years before David was even born. And this says some other things. This is another lesson, see, that you can learn from David. And that is that before you were born, you had a purpose. God had a purpose in you. You might have been a mistake as far as your parents were concerned. Like, I'm, I don't think my parents had me planned. When I finally came along, they joked that they were going to name me Caboose because they didn't want any more kids. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, but you know what? I don't believe, whether my parents knew I was coming or not, God knew I was coming. God had a purpose for my life. God preordained some things. In um, Jeremiah chapter 1, the Lord spoke to Jeremiah and He says, Before I formed you in your mother's belly, before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and I ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. And the same thing is repeated by Isaiah. The same thing was said by Paul over in uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 15. And I believe that this is true for all of us. God has a purpose for your life. And He sought David out and knew David, said he was a man after his own heart eight years before he was born. Whether you realize it or not, God has a purpose for your life. And even if you've messed it up and you think you've made so many wrong turns, then how could God ever use you? God can put you back on track. In the 14th chapter of 1 Samuel, you see Jonathan who went out. Jonathan was the son of Saul and he went out and won a huge battle against the Philistines. I mean against overwhelming odds. The Israelites were just hiding from the Philistines. They had come down for battle and the Israelites had no chance of winning. So they were all hiding in caves and behind rocks and stuff. And Jonathan just told his armor bearer, he says, let's go up and expose ourselves to the Philistines and see what God will do. And he says, the very worst that could happen is we die. But God could deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines by us. And so he did. And they went up and they started fighting. And they killed around 20 or 30 men. But the Lord just caused a fear to enter into the entire host of the Philistines. And, and after this just small victory of 20 or 30 men, 
they started running and uh, the Israelites came out of their caves and out from behind rocks and they pursued and they won a huge victory all because of Jonathan and how he stood. And so Jonathan was the son of Saul. Jonathan would have made an excellent king. And yet Jonathan died with his father in battle because God had rejected Saul and all of Saul's children because of Saul's disobedience. Here's another lesson that you can learn, and that is that even though God, you know, has great plans for your life, the people you associate with can affect you and how God moves in your life. In this instance, Jonathan chose to just stick with his father, and it cost him his life, and it cost him the kingdom. God raised up another man. But uh, I tell you, this same thing plays out in our life today. One of the most important things in your life are the people that you associate with. And many people don't recognize that. And it keeps them from experiencing God's best in their life because they're associating with the wrong people. So uh, anyway, the 15th chapter is where Saul really... He had already been rejected by God. God said, I've sought a man after my own heart, talking about David. But in the 15th chapter, Saul just totally rebelled against God because of a fear of the people, disobeyed God. And I mean, Samuel got angry and rent the kingdom out of his hands. And uh, it says in the last verse, or right down here in the very end, of this 15th chapter, it says, And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. And so this is the state. Samuel is the one who chose Saul to be king under the direction of the Lord, but he loved Saul. And Saul started out good. And because of it, Samuel, the prophet, really loved King Saul. But Saul, over a period of years, just became vile against God. He was totally fearful of men and he would compromise and do whatever it took uh, to keep men's approval of him high. And so Samuel totally rejected, walked away, never saw him again, never went and saw him again after this, but it says he mourned for Saul all of that time. And look in the 16th chapter. This is where David comes on the scene for the very first time. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thy horn with oil and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Well, this is a powerful passage of Scripture. Again, remember all those things I was just describing, how Samuel loved Saul. And even though he knew God had rejected him because Saul had rejected God, Samuel was mourning for Saul, and he was in a constant state of just being grieved and mourning because of the way that this man had turned away from God and how it had affected him and, of course, the entire nation too. And the Lord says, How long are you going to mourn over this? Fill your horn with oil. The horn was talking about it was like an animal horn, and they, of course, had plugged it up so that it would hold oil. It was a vessel for holding oil. Fill your horn with oil and go and anoint my next king. And I tell you, the, the application of this to us is really powerful. God has spoken to me through this verse many times. And that is that, you know, you'll see somebody who you really love and respect and that at one time represented God, and for whatever reason, they fall. They could have a sexual sin. They could have misappropriated money, but whatever. 
All of us have seen people that we've seen them fall and it just grieves us. And some people spend the rest of their life grieving over this situation and just praying that somehow or another it could have been different. But you know, there are some times that God doesn't control us like chess pieces. He doesn't just make us do His will. There are people that reject God and change the course of history. As it said over there in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13, If Saul would have obeyed God, he would have reigned over Israel forever. All of his descendants would have been kings instead of David coming on the scene. This wasn't God's original plan, but nonetheless it had happened. And now God had put it behind him and he told Samuel. He says, how long are you going to mourn over this thing? Fill your horn with oil and go. Get over it, Samuel. And I tell you, there are times that I've had to do this exact same thing myself when I've grieved because one of the guys who was a mentor for me fell into sexual sins at one time, cussed me out, told me he wanted nothing to do with me. I could have just, you know, grieved and have stayed there and have let my spiritual life stagnate because of the hurt and the pain or I can get over it and go ahead and follow God and let God use me. You know, I remember my brother... When his wife died, they were super close. I really love my sister-in-law, Virginia. She's just a great lady. And Ray mourned for, I don't even know, a number of months, three, four, five months. And he was just nearly incapacitated by it. And then all of a sudden, it's just like somebody flipped a switch. And he began to get over it. And I, I forget the exact length of time, but I think it was a little over a year, maybe two years or something like that after Virginia died. My brother remarried. And this lady that he married is a great lady. And man, I love her too. She's awesome. But anyway, I asked him one time, I said, what happened to you? How did you get over this? I mean, you were really struggling there for a while. And uh, my brother's kind of a redneck. I don't know. He's not a redneck, but he, he tends that way, I guess. He's just really simple in the way that he puts things and blunt. But uh, I, this was profound. He told me, he says, I, I realized I was either going to have to dig a grave and crawl in next to Virginia or I was going to have to let her go and get on with my life. And he just decided that, you know, God had left him here. He needed to live and he was going to go on. And I mean, boom, just like that, he was over it. That's not to say that he's never had to deal with grief or anything like that since then. But I'm saying there was a difference. And this is basically what God is telling Samuel right here. How long are you going to mourn over this? Get over it. Fill your horn with oil. Let the Holy Spirit come upon you and go ahead and live. Either dig a hole and crawl in next to that person and just die or get on with your life. And the same thing could happen over a multitude of things. You could have lost a job. Maybe you were fired unjustly. Maybe you had somebody divorce you and your marriage failed. And this wasn't God's will. Yes, those kind of things happen. But or what are you going to do? Are you going to let this affect you the rest of your life? Are you going to limp through life with this? Or are you just going to get over it? Fill your horn with oil. Fill yourself with the power of the Holy Ghost and go on. And I'm telling you that God can take whatever the devil has thrown at you and God can work it together for good. He can overcome. He can use this tragedy in your past as a testimony and something that you actually rub the devil's nose in. And you can go on and succeed. 
But you're going to have to just exactly what the Lord was telling Samuel. Samuel, you're going to have to get up. You're going to have to quit mourning. You're going to have to get over it. Fill your horn with oil and I still got things for you to do. Get out there and do what I have told you to do. I tell you, God is speaking to a lot of people right now. There's some of you that you've had tragedy happen and I'm not saying that what's happened to you wasn't tragic. I'm not trying to minimize your problem, but I am saying that God's supply is greater than your need. And if you would turn to the Lord and let Him fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit, you could overcome whatever it is that's happened to you. There is nothing, nothing that has happened to you that God can't overcome. And you're going to have to get up and go and do what God called you to do. Man, that's powerful. God has spoken this to me, and I believe that God is speaking this to many of you right now, and you just need to respond positively. See, this is a lesson that you need to learn from David, from the story of David. Samuel, if he hadn't have gotten over Saul, if he hadn't have just, you know, pulled it together and have gone and done what God told him to do, David never would have been anointed to be king. God's will wouldn't have come to pass, or God would have had to have done it some other way. As far as what we can see in Scripture, Samuel had to get over Saul and go do what God told him to do. So do you. You can get over it. The past is past. Forget the things that are beyond past and look forward to what God has called you to do and get up and go for it. Other people may not forgive you. You may even have trouble forgiving yourself, but I can guarantee you God has forgiven you and you can go on. You can overcome. You can still see God's will come to pass in your life. Man, that's powerful. So the story goes on that he went down to Bethlehem and because Saul now was just totally uh, in rebellion towards God, if he would have known what Samuel was doing, that he was going to anoint a new king, he would have killed Samuel and whoever he anointed to be king. So they had to do all this secretly. So he came to the city of Bethlehem. He called Jesse and all of his family to a feast. And then he got Jesse aside and had his children come before him. And Samuel was looking at his children to see which one was going to be king. The very first one that came was the oldest son, Eliab. And Eliab was a strong, powerful looking man. And you've got to remember that Saul, the previous king that God had anointed, Saul was taller than any other person in the nation. It said the, the next tallest person in the nation only came up to his shoulder. So Saul was this huge specimen of a man. And Samuel just supposed that God was going to pick somebody similar to this. And so it says right here in 1 Samuel chapter 16, in verse 6, it says, "...it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed." is before him. Again, this was the oldest, biggest, strongest of all of Jesse's sons. In verse 7 it says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Man, that is a scripture that I have used hundreds, possibly thousands and thousands of times. So many times do people just look on things external. They look on the, on the person, whether they're a beautiful person, whether they're a big person, strong person or whatever, but God looks on a person's heart. 
And see, this is encouraging to me because I'm not the best and the brightest and the best looking and all of these kind of things. Some of you feel so bad and you spend so much money trying to paint yourself up and do all of these things and stuff. And you put so much emphasis on all of this outer appearance and stuff. And I'm not saying that you should let yourself go, but I'm saying you ought to recognize that it's the hidden man of the heart. This is what the Lord told women over in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, don't let your... Uh, out, you, don't let your adorning be that of the outward person, the plaiting of your hair, the wearing of gold, and putting on of apparel. Religion has come along and taken those scriptures and said that you shouldn't pile your hair up on your head, that you shouldn't wear gold jewelry of any kind, and they preach against that. Well, that same passage of scripture says, or wearing of apparel. If you were going to take that literally, that you can't do those things, well, then you can't wear clothes either. And obviously, that is not the point that Peter was making. He was just saying, don't put the emphasis on your hairdo, on your makeup, on your jewelry and all of these kind of things, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. God looks on the heart. Man puts the emphasis on the outside. And not only do other people evaluate you on the outside, too often we evaluate ourselves based only on how we are outwardly. And again, I think that there's a balance here. We ought to take some pride in our looks and in our appearance, and you shouldn't offend people by your smell or stuff like this. But I'm saying that our society puts way too much emphasis on this, especially women. Are, you, know, you have to have this uh, straw figure and, and just starve yourself to death. It's not even healthy and stuff, and that's not true. I'm not saying you let yourself go, but at the same time, you ought to put the importance on the heart. And not only talking about just your physical body, but your attitudes and stuff. God is more concerned with a person's heart than He is their actions. Now, that may have really offended some people for me to say that, because again, we place so much importance on actions. But I'm saying actions are just a re, uh, um, result or a reflection of what's really going on in a person's heart. If you get a person's heart, and if you can change their heart, their actions will eventually follow. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's talking about the way you think in your heart is the way your actions will ultimately go. Jesus said it this way over in Matthew chapter 23. He says, You people, you scribes and Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the platter. He says, but the inside is just full of all of this corruption. He says, clean that which is inside first and then the outside will be clean. True Christianity isn't changing from the outside in, it's changing from the inside out. There's so many people that think that if I could just quit doing this and this and this, then I'll be clean on the inside. God does just the opposite. He comes and changes your heart, makes you a brand new person, changes you on the inside, and then your outward person and your actions change as a result. Man, there's a lot of things that you could make application right here. But Samuel was looking on the height of Eliab, his strength, and thinking, surely this is it. And God says, that's not the way I see things. This is a great passage of Scripture. And you need to recognize it I don't care if you're one of those beautiful people. I don't care if you've got all the jewels and gold and stuff like this. If you're miserable on the inside, God knows it. God's not mad at you. He loves you. And he's, He looks beyond all of the other stuff. You might impress people, but 
God is looking at your heart. I remember when Paul went to the uh, Jerusalem church and there was James and Cephas, Peter and John. I mean the pillars of the church. And Paul said, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God accepts no man's person. That's the way that Paul responded to these people who were these, I mean, just huge leaders in the Christian church. And he says, whoever they were, it doesn't matter to me. God doesn't look at a person's person. He looks on the heart. And you know, that's the way you deal with things. I was just among some people who are, I mean, leaders, big, big leaders. And there were some people that just nearly fell at their feet in worship. And I honor them and respect them for what they do. But you know what? I know that they're... God looks at their heart. God looks beyond all of these external things. I didn't feel intimidated or inferior to anybody because I know who I am in Christ. And this this works positively and negatively. Some people really promote themselves as being more than what they are, but God sees you in your heart. There's other people that you may not ever be recognized by the world and given the honor that you think you're due, but God sees your heart and God will honor you based on your heart. Man, that's powerful. This is comforting and convicting all at the same time, but this is a pivotal passage of Scripture that you just need to underline in your Bible that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. That is powerful. And so the story goes on that after... The Lord spoke this to Samuel. Samuel looked past Eliab and he took the next son of Jesse. And the Lord says, that's not the one either. And he went through six of Jesse's sons. And according to Jesse, he thought that that was all of the sons. But the Lord had clearly spoken to him that none of these were the new king. Now this says a lot. And I could make a bigger deal out of this than what I'm going to take time to do. But Samuel was so sensitive in hearing the voice of God that when it looked like there was only six choices, he said, it's not any of these. You know, this set him up for saying, well, I must have missed God because it's not any of these children here. And most people would have just chose the last one because it obviously wasn't the first five. But Samuel was hearing from God well enough that he says, it's not any of these. God hadn't chosen any of these. And he says, he said to Jesse, he says, are these all of your children? And Jesse said, well, the youngest one. David was out keeping the sheep. But he didn't even bring him in when it was very clearly told him that among one of his sons, God would choose the next king. And Jesse, the father, didn't even think enough of David to put his name in the hat. That's amazing to me. He wasn't honored by his father. He wasn't honored by his brothers. You can see that in the 17th chapter. David was kind of the runt of the litter. When he finally comes, it says he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance. In other words, he was a mama's boy. He was a pretty guy. He didn't look tough and rough. How could he be a king? People who looked on the outside rejected him and didn't even think he had a chance. They didn't even bring him in. Think how David must have felt knowing that Samuel was coming, the man of God. Even if he didn't know that he was going to anoint the king... What an honor it would have been to have meant the prophet of God coming to your family's house and yet David wasn't even allowed to be there. They put him out keeping the sheep because they thought surely he had no part in this. Think how David must have felt. But he was out there just worshiping the Lord. And see, since God looks on the heart, he sought him a man after his own heart. He saw that David's heart was right. 
I tell you, it's awesome the way that God will honor us when other people have rejected us. But it's because He looks at our heart. This is a truth that we need to learn, that God is not impressed with your flesh, the way you look, the way you dress, your accomplishment, the trophies on your uh, mantle. That's not what God looks at. He looks at your heart. And some people, that strikes terror into your heart, but there's a positive to this too. And that's when you get born again, God gives you a new heart. And I don't care how much you've messed up on the outside. I don't care if your mantle is empty, if there's not a single award up there, if it seems like you've never done anything in your life special. God looks at your heart. And you, your heart was changed when you were born again. And if you will open up and yield yourself to that, God will promote you. You know, I'm an example of this. I was never the best at anything. I was always mediocre in anything, everything I always did. But God looked at my heart and God has blessed me and God has promoted me and done awesome things in my life. I'm telling you, this, this is a powerful, powerful truth. So anyway, Jesse didn't even think that David stood a chance of being the next king, so he didn't even bring him in. Samuel went through all of his brothers and he said, it's none of these. He says, is this all of your children? And look at what Jesse said. In verse uh, 11, it says, Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. He made everybody remain standing until David came. It could have taken 20, 30, 40 minutes or whatever. And he made everybody stand in honor of the youngest son who the father didn't even think worthy enough to even bring him in. He didn't even put his name in the hat. <laughs> you know, I was mentioning my brother. I gave a story about him. My, my brother, he's a funny guy. And anyway, uh, one time he was behind in his bills. He was trying to make this... Uh, auto repair shop work and because of it he just wasn't able to draw a salary sometime and he was behind and he had collectors calling him and they were hounding him and this one guy was just being mean to him and saying we're going to turn you over to a collection agency and all of this stuff and my brother basically said you can't get blood out of a turnip I just don't have it I'll, I'll pay you if I possibly can and this guy just kept pressuring him and finally Ray told him he says look here's the way I pay my bills I put everybody's name in a hat and then I pull them out and pay bills until I run out of money. He says, if you keep bothering me, I'm taking your name out of the hat. I thought that was just awesome. And you know what? This guy shut up and left him alone. Of course, my brother was able to pay all of his debts. But in a sense, this is what Jesse did. Jesse didn't even put David's name in the hat. He didn't even think him worthy. And so Samuel made everybody stand until David came in. And in verse 12, it says, And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. That word ruddy means red. Uh, they don't know if that's referring to like his hair or his complexion. There's some difference of opinion about that. And the next phrase says, And with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. In other words, they were looking for a king, a tough guy. Maybe with a scar or two, a man that had been through a battle. Here was this little guy, the runt of the litter, who just had a, you know, a beautiful complexion and was beautiful to look to. And nobody would have thought him to be a king material. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Boy, there is so much in these verses. I've meditated on this so long. I could preach on every phrase here for a long, long period of time. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. There is such a thing. You know, it's, I read these verses earlier, but in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, the Lord said, I have sought me out a man after my own heart. He put it in the past tense. And yet I shared that this was eight years before David was born. Most scholars believe that David was around 17 years old at this time. So if the Lord had already sought out a man after God's own heart, and specifically with the purpose of making him king eight years before David was born. And if he was 17 at this time, that means for 25 years, the call of God had been there. God created David with a very specific purpose. And so God had already called him. I made reference to Jeremiah chapter 1 where, he, where the Lord told Jeremiah, Before I formed you in your mother's belly, before you came forth out of your mother's womb, I sanctified you and I ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. He told the same thing to the apostle Paul. Paul said that God separated him from his mother's womb. So the call is there even before birth. God knows what he created you to do and what his plans for you are. So this call that was on David's life had been there for probably 25 years at this time. And yet, it wasn't until he was anointed that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day forward. And here is another great truth that you learn through David, and you can see it in other places in Scripture, that there is a difference between being called and being separated to the ministry to where the power of God literally begins to start flowing through you. You can see this real clearly over in Acts chapter 13. Let me just turn over and read this to you. This is where um, Paul and Barnabas were separated unto the ministry. And in Acts chapter 13, in verse 2 it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. You can see right here that he had already called them, but now they were being separated. You know, just recently, I won't go into all the details, but the Lord had told me some things about my life and my ministry and things that I was going to do probably five or six years ago. And I've been moving in that direction, and He's been showing me some things. But just recently, I was called out in front of 2,000 people, and a person prophesied to me, and separated me unto what God had already called me to do. And I told him, I said, that's a confirmation. And he told everybody, he says, see, this is the way prophecy should be. It's not a new directive. It's just a confirmation of what people already know. And this happened to me, that God separated me unto something that he had already called me to do. And from that moment on, I believe that there is an anointing and a power present that wasn't present before. Does that mean that I'm just now called? No, I was called before. But now I've been separated unto it. And it's going to make a difference in my life. It's so premature at this time, I can't tell you all about it, but I can guarantee you, hide and watch, you're going to see some awesome things happen because now there is an anointing manifest in my life that wasn't present before. 
And so this is what uh, happened to David right here. He had been sought out by God for eight years and then for 17 years of his life, approximately 25 years altogether, God had a plan for him. But when he was anointed by the prophet, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day on. And he was now the anointed king of Israel. Now, he wasn't functioning in that position yet. It was still another, I don't even know exactly how many years, but probably um, if he was 17 years old, again, this is not a, a certainty. I've studied this out as much as I can, and I just can't nail it down. But that's what most scholars believe he was at this time. And over in Second Kings chapter 5, I believe it is, it says that he was 30 years old when he actually began to reign. So if he was 17 at this time, that means that there was a 13-year period of time that the anointing of God was upon him. He was anointed by God to be king, but he wasn't functioning fully in that situation for another 13 years. And even when he was 30 years old and began to reign, he didn't reign over all of the nation of Israel. He only reigned over the two southern tribes for a period of time, for seven years, and uh, it was seven years after that before the whole nation of Israel was united under him. So altogether, it was 20 years approximately after this time before he saw the total fulfillment of what God had called him to do. Now, I'm talking about lessons from the life of David, and this is a lesson that has ministered to me greatly, and you can just see this as you go through the Word with nearly every person, that there is a period of time in between the calling and the separation, when the anointing of God really begins to start flowing and allowing you to do what called God called you to do. And then, even after you are separated and start flowing in that anointing, there still is a preparation period of time. You know, in my own personal life, I, was, I had this experience with the Lord when I was 18 years old. And I mean, God rang my bell, and that's where I understood the call to ministry. And immediately I started trying to do it. But, uh, you know what, I was frustrated for a long period of time. And it was about 10 or more years later before I actually started the Andrew Womack Ministries, started pastoring churches and doing things. But after 32 years of ministry, this was around 1999, the Lord spoke to me and said that you are just now beginning to do what I called you to do. And he was speaking forward to, I started on television January the 3rd, 2000. And this was in the summer, July of 1999. And he was speaking forward about in the next few months when I would start on television. He said, you are just now starting to do what I've called you to do. And he said, if something would have happened to you and if you would have died before you started on television, you would have never fulfilled my will for you. And you know, in a way, that was discouraging because I'd been in ministry for 32 years. I'd pastored three churches. I'd been on radio for, I don't know, 13, 14 years at that time. Uh, we were on over 100 radio stations. There was all kinds of good things that had happened. And yet the Lord said I was just getting started. So that was kind of discouraging in one sense. But on the other hand, it was encouraging because if I was just getting started, well, then it was going to be even better. And so with me, I'm just saying that even after I understood my calling and then I was separated to it, there was still a growth period of time. And some people just don't understand this. And they are 
they have this microwave mentality that if God's called them to do something, then just boom, like that, it's going to happen. And they start trying to force it and make it to happen right away. And they frustrate the grace of God and they get disappointed. It just takes time. You know, with Moses, it was 40 years from when he first tried to bring God's will to pass before he brought the children of Israel out. And then there was another 40 years in the wilderness. So there was an 80-year ministry, but 40 years of it was all preparation. David, it was 13 years approximately from the time he was called and separated until he first saw him reign over the nation. And you can go through with other people. With Paul, there was about 13 years. There was three years in the desert that he was just totally separated, but then it was, you know, many years later. And you could just go through, and with every single person, there is this period of time where you grow and are separated unto what God calls you to do. And you may not like that, but I'm telling you, you can't get around it. It's a lot easier to cooperate with it than it is to fight against it. It just takes time for God to prepare us to do what He calls us to do. You don't come out of the womb just instantly available to God. You've got to learn. You've got to grow. And it takes a period of time. And I learned this, see, from David. I see this as his expense. Here he was, anointed to be king. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And the last part of this verse says, So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. In other words, he went home. And what did David do? David went back to keeping sheep. Did you know in some ways it looked like nothing had happened? I'm sure that probably there was people that looked at this and thought, well, David is still keeping the sheep. He's not a king. He's not doing anything special. And they probably disregarded him. They probably thought, man, this, this isn't God. I don't believe anything has happened. But as you continue to read, you just start seeing things one at a time begin to start falling into place. One of the very next things that happened was that Saul became tormented by this spirit and he just would have these fits come upon him. And so somebody suggested that they ought to get somebody who's skillful on a harp to play and to get rid of this spirit. Now, for one thing, that's amazing that they would have done that. In, in our day, they would have given him an injection. They would have put him in a psych ward. They would have given him some kind of medication or something. But they immediately uh, talked about finding someone who was skillful on the harp. And look at this in chapter 16, 1 Samuel 16 and verse um, 18. It says, Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and plain, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse, and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread, and a bottle of wine, and a kid, and sent them by David his son unto Saul." And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Now again, some people just miss the significance of this. But here is a little lad who was so insignificant that his father didn't even put his name in the hat, didn't even think he was worthy of consideration, left him out with the sheep. He was keeping sheep out in a pasture someplace. 
And yet when the king of the entire nation, there was hundreds of thousands, maybe probably millions of people in this nation. And out of all of the millions of people, when they wanted somebody who was skillful on the harp to come and play for the king, they picked out this one insignificant kid that was taking care of the sheep. Some people might miss that, but I can guarantee you that was a result of the Spirit of the Lord coming upon David. And he began to start promoting him. Out of the millions of people, David was chosen to come before the king and to play. And this was more than just playing on his harp. You know, even though Saul by this time was a king that was totally out of the will of God and not flowing with the things of God, he was still king. And there was a lot that David can learn. I tell you, this is something that people don't recognize they just think that if God is with them and God's anointing's on them, well, then they don't have to learn anything. And they go out and they try and do things with their own wisdom. You can learn. If you feel called to pastor a church, you know what? You ought to go sit under a pastor. If you feel called to do missions work, you ought to go to a missions field and you ought to be under somebody. And somebody says, well, everybody I know is not a really good example. Well, Saul was a terrible example. But you know what? You can learn by other people. If nothing else, you can learn what not to do. You could learn, I'm never going to do it this way. This was strategic that God took David and put him under this king. I mean, and he didn't promote himself. He didn't volunteer. He didn't see some kind of a job application and go put his name in and apply for this. He was out there with the sheep looking like nothing had changed, like he was out there. Who was going to pay attention to him? God has a way of connecting you and putting you where you need to be if your heart is right, if you are seeking Him and yielding to Him. The anointing of God was on David and that anointing began to start moving David in the right direction and put him right under the very man that he would eventually replace. And he learned a lot by what not to do. He learned that I'm never going to be the way that Saul was. But this is significant. See, the Spirit of God began to start moving in David's life. You know, I can look back. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, And I can look back and I can see that God has, has done so many awesome things in my life that at the time it didn't look like it was awesome. I remember when I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. That didn't look like a very good thing. And yet God did some wonderful things in my life. I was a Baptist when I went to Vietnam. And when I got out, I wasn't. I didn't mean to change. I didn't try and change. I just got to study in the Word anywhere from 10 to 15 hours a day. And when I came out, the Baptists didn't want me anymore. They asked me to leave. <laughs> I found out that the Word of God had changed me. I'm not against the Baptist. I praise God for the background I've got. But I'm saying that, you know, at the time, Vietnam looked like a bad deal. But it was really significant that God just unplugged me from all religious influence. And I was in an isolated situation where all it was just Him and me, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And I was studying and it changed my life. And God began to start supernaturally moving in my life. And I can talk about the three little churches that I pastored and things that I've been through. And I can see how that God was using all of these things to prepare me for what I'm doing right now. I'm telling you, there is an anointing of God that comes upon you when you are separated, not just when you're called, but when you're separated unto what God calls you to do and God will begin to start moving you, but it's usually not going to be from right then into the full fulfillment. There's always steps and stages 
along the way. And you just need to realize this. This is one of the reasons that we started our Karis Bible College. Because preparation time is never wasted time. There may be some of you who think, well, I hadn't got time to go to two or three years of Bible school. Well, go out and do it in your own strength and see how that works for you. I tell you what, preparation time is never wasted time. And you're either going to learn through your own hard knocks or you can learn at somebody else's expense. You can turn to the Word of God and learn from David instead of having to make all of these mistakes on your own. But you cannot get around that you need to learn. There is a preparation period of time. These are some of the lessons that, see, I learned from David. And I tell you, they have really made an impact in my life.